Philippians 1, starting in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Good morning. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Beth. It's fun to do, sing hymns together. I sat up a little farther. I can hear more of you behind me. That's, that's, that's awesome. Well, it's good to be together again today. I'm really not sure what that lowercase b is doing in the middle of the picture. <laughs> Nevertheless, there's a lowercase b in the middle of the picture. Um, <laughs> let's ask God to meet us as we look at Philippians this morning, shall we? God, it's good to be together again. It's, it's, it's really a joy. It's only a joy because you call us to it and you've transformed and are transforming, renewing our lives that we can come with seriousness about this book, the Bible, taking it to be truth, understanding it to be not just the guide to our life, but the foundation to our life. Doubts arise at times, but <clears throat> we do believe that, we affirm that. Thank you for the letter to the Philippians that, though written many years ago, we can relate with, and we see that pretty clearly in our passage today, and Father, please, Holy Spirit, meet us where we need to be met. This is your word, your truth, and we are yours, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you remember last week, if you were here or online or somewhere, we looked at Ver, the, end, the last part of chapter 1, which Steve read this morning, uh, verses 27 through 30. And this was the call for the Philippian church to live their lives worthy of the gospel. And it's also the call to us to live our lives worthy of the gospel. In this context, in specific, this was to be done by standing firm in one spirit, 
one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Do you remember those words? We saw in this passage, this was to take place especially in the face of opposition, some kind of persecution from what Paul calls the opponents there for the the Philippian church. And we also noticed that we are to stand and strive together, especially in the face of opposition or difficulty in our lives and in our relationships. We should be seeking unity in these relationships as we deal with trials, difficulties, even at times in our context, in our culture, opposition to the faith. So we come to chapter 2 this morning now, and we need to recognize that the break in thought or theme is really not very significant. In fact, this section follows the previous sentence that we just talked about, that we looked at last week, and we're still under that heading, if you will, out of, out of, out of verse 27. I want to just read that again. Um, it was, Steve read it, but let's look at it. Look at 127. He says, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So we need to keep this in mind as we now continue into the first few verses of chapter 2, and really beyond that too. But this, this theme and this thrust of unity continues um, in, this chap- in this next chapter. It's an interesting spot to put a number two, to put a chapter break. And there's, you can, you can take, take that up with the, uh, whoever decided to do that. Those are not inspired. Keep that in mind. The chapter and the verse breaks are not inspired. Sometimes they make good sense. Other times, at least in my humble opinion, they don't make much sense at all. But uh, you can take that or leave that. But let's look at this um, passage, starting with verse 1 in chapter 2. They are helpful, by the way. I'm not saying they're not helpful, but uh, interesting places we find the, the verse breaks. It starts out there with therefore or so. Maybe you see if. And though we're basically on that same track of unity, he's shifting slightly, I think, in his exhortation. Paul as the author, the Holy Spirit as the author. And here's kind of a summary of what I think we're going to see in this section. Paul is saying to the, to the Philippian church, he's saying this, in addition to practicing and achieving unity with others in the face of opposition or difficulty... You now need to pursue harmony with those in the body who have a different interest, a different angle, a different opinion, maybe a different conviction than you do. Skip to verse 2 of chapter 2, and he says, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I I don't think we should say that the primary point here is to complete Paul's joy, but his joy cannot be complete without the harmony of these believers in Philippi. Perhaps we could infer that the believers themselves will not have full joy either until harmony amongst them is achieved the believers themselves in in philippi and as has been seen 
this partnership in Christ, the friendship between the Philippians and Paul will find fullness in joy as they are unified together. In other words, disunity, disharmony diminishes joy. And we should ask the question, can we have full joy in our lives, in our church today, without harmony of mind? So, Paul says, you're going to complete my joy and your own when you choose to agree. Look at verse 2 again, and translations will differ in wording slightly, but notice those four phrases in the verse that, we just, that I just read. When you think the same way, have the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. I want to point out that phrase 1 and phrase 4 of those four being of one mind or phrase four you might see translated having the same purpose these two are almost exactly the same in their original wording and again translations will differ but the phrase is more literally saying those two phrases are more literally saying thinking the same way almost exactly the same wording in in phrase one and phrase four there so the emphasis is continuing from the previous section as we pointed out and here we see the shift now to agree together, to seek harmony even in the face of different opinions or different ideas, thinking the same way. And we shouldn't forget those other two aspects, those other two points, those phrase number two and phrase number three, um, by having the same love and united or joined in spirit and soul I think these two phrases should probably be thought of as supporting that main idea, phrase one and phrase four, thinking the same way or intent on, same, on the same purpose you might see in your translation. They're not meant to further complicate the issue, but without love, how can you have agreement or, or, or harmony amongst yourselves? Without a desire for being united in one spirit or literally one soul in real friendship, how can you find harmony? So this thinking the same way, this one-mindedness, has now been mentioned twice in verse 2, complemented with the needed aspects of love and unity and friendship. What does Paul mean exactly by thinking the same way or intent on one purpose? Well, I think it points to what Silva calls spiritual oneness. Not so much intellectual uniformity you catch that spiritual oneness perhaps not intellectual uniformity i don't think paul i don't think the bible is teaching us or trying to do away with differences in personality in preferences even styles and tastes and we also recognize that there are different levels and places of maturity and patterns of growth in our christian walk but christ has to be that central point of agreement First, that he is Savior, that he is the only way, the one and only Savior that can deal with our sin problem. We're convicted together in this. And then, serving him as master together, submitting to him as Lord, thinking the same way, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We are, we're, we're moving into these next couple of verses, but... We need to move in with this in our mind. Paul is not about to give us a list of what we should agree on and a list of what we are allowed to disagree on. He's not giving us the primary and the secondary. 
to get to this place of needed harmony, he's going to address, I'm going to give it away, but he's going to address our attitudes, our viewpoints of one another. The Philippian church needed to think about their agreement in Christ and how that then flowed into everyday loving, we hope loving, relationships. We need this process as they did. How our agreement in Christ flows into relationships with each other. Maybe we need to work on our attitude, our viewpoint of one another in love. Well, with this in mind, we come to verse 3 and 4. I think 3 and 4 are helping us understand what Paul means by thinking the same way. I asked, what, what does he mean by that? Well, I think verse 3 and 4 gives definition to what he means by agreeing with one another or thinking the same way. He gives a directive here that includes two positives and then two negatives. I should say two negatives and then two positives. So first, the, neg the negatives do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. And then you see in verse 4, everyone should look not only to his own interests and then the positives. But instead, he says, with humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And in verse 4, look to the interests of others. So these are fairly clear. But we need to put our focus, I think, here on humility as being the path to harmony. These directives in 3 and 4 speak to humility this needs to be the defining factor of our attitude toward one another. Perhaps we can think of this as humility of mind. It's connected with that previous challenge out of verse 2. Think the same way. Have the same mind. Humility works at recognizing the reality of who we are. That's a big subject, humility, but it works at recognizing the reality of who we are. So with humility as a motivating factor, do you see what Paul is telling the church? He's not just saying, be sure to be nice and fair with each other or treat each other decently. But at the core of your relationship with each other, there should be humility of mind. In fact, you are to think of others as more important than yourself. To think of others as in your church, by the way, as better than you and in addition you're to keenly look out for the interests of others and then this leads us back to that first part as you do this you will find harmony and may I say joy at the core of harmony with each other is your attitude toward one another again Silva <clears throat> says the true obstacle to unity here is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. I'll, I'll say that once more. The true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. Now, I think the Philippian church was related to our church and to humanity in general. Selfishness, looking out for number one. That was not something you had to teach them, was it? I'm not saying you're all selfish at all times, don't worry. 
But if you've hung out with any of the human race at all, including yourself, you know that we are inherently selfish. Selfish. That's the natural way. It comes without trying. It comes without thinking. It's part of what we as Christians call maybe human nature. And it's a product of the fall that you can thank Adam and Eve for if you want to give blame to somebody. The Philippians didn't need to be told to look out for their own interests. They had to be told not to. Now, some in Rome apparently had this problem as well, as we see them described in Romans 2.8, as those who were self-seeking and disobeying the truth while obeying unrighteousness. In 1 Corinthians 10.24, oh, the Corinthians also had this problem. It says, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. That is writing to the church there in, in Corinth. And a few chapters later in 13, verse 5, we see one of the marks of true love. Remember that, the, uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13? One of the marks of, the, of true love is, is that it is not self-seeking. Well, we're talking about that ambition that is self-seeking, that is seeking advancement in some way, self-advancement, self-focus, self-fulfillment. There's a lot of words there that you can put into the concept. Whatever it is, it's a divisive state of mind. It's a divisive attitude that does not lead to harmony. That's what Paul is addressing. I think we need to hear this, don't we? We're just like the Philippians, the Corinthians, the Romans, on and on and on. This scripture, amongst others, wouldn't be here if we didn't need it. Basically, he's saying stop living in your relationships out of selfish ambition, out of conceit. Stop looking out for just you. By the way, I don't think this instruction here is, is given to us to tell us to stop taking care of yourself, stop feeding yourself, stop brushing your teeth. That's something else. I don't think it's teaching us to not think about planning for our future or applying wisdom to our life. It's not that we should suddenly be filled with negative thoughts about ourselves. But it is freedom from just thinking about ourselves in order to consider another and to look at the value of others in humility, in love, looking for someone else's interests. And that is toward harmony, toward harmony. Well, the good news is we can change. As Christians, we believe the Bible to be true, don't we? We believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. We see that this instruction or we see this instruction and we believe it to be true. We believe it to be something to take into our own lives. Therefore, we attempt to change. And we can change. We begin to discipline ourselves to think of others' interests and of others in general as being simply better than us. We discipline ourselves to do this even on many occasions. We may not feel like it. Paul Telfer says, Human appetites are malleable. They're shapeable, and thank God for that. This self-serving, natural appetite is changeable. Perhaps you don't like Brussels sprouts, 
Well, that's okay. I don't have any contention with that. But what if Brussels sprouts were absolutely necessary for a balanced diet? Well, most likely we would all discipline ourselves to eat Brussels sprouts. We would discipline our kids to eat Brussels sprouts. So we should take care in adapting our appetites. And I think this is the reason for this instruction. It gives us advice on how to adapt. What is your attitude toward another? Now, what are we changing to? Think about those two positives in verse 3 and verse 4 for a minute. We've kind of talked about the negatives. First, counting others, considering others as more important, more significant, or simply in some translations, better than yourself. I don't know if you can see this picture. It's a, a father who's put his umbrella over his little boy and he's soaking wet. Again, I don't think the counsel here is to beat ourselves up or denigrate ourselves. It's a frame of mind to operate, to think, to have the humble mentality that others' needs should be placed above my own. Others' needs should surpass my own. This is the mentality. Remember that this is in the context of mine, your relationships. With this mindset, as I relate to my friends in the body of Christ, or even those I'm not friends with, it should be to put them first, to consider their needs above my own. Hansen says this about it. Listen to this quote. The focus is not negative, but positive. Let the needs and interests of others surpass yours. Put them in first place. Give them the place of honor. Respect them. Listen to them. Speak about them. Serve them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. As we put others first, there will be radical effects in our community and harmony will be achieved. Harmony will be achieved. Now look at the, the, the second of these positives in verse 4, but it says, rather looking to the interests of others. It's talking about paying careful attention to others. Visualize that if you, if you can. Again, we don't have to be told to look out for our own interests, do we? The instruction here is to reprioritize our very lives with the idea of giving great attention to the interests of others in our community. This means you have to think about their perspectives, the way they see the world. What is important to them? What are their needs? Even if those are different from yours, we give it focus. Even though we will differ in a multitude of convictions and preferences, personalities, places of growth, we need to pay attention not to the differences so much, but to the other person and their perspective, their interests. Remember, this is about an attitude, an attitude change, looking toward harmony with others. Check out this attitude change in this rancher. There were two ranchers, 
actually, living side by side in southwestern Montana. They bickered and they fought because each thought a rusty barbed wire fence that separated their ranches was not the true property line. Each felt the other was encroaching upon his land. The real estate records were unclear at the county courthouse. They forbade their children to play with one another. The conflict became worse. Finally, after years of exchanging words and threats, one of the ranchers said to himself, Enough of this. He drove down the lane from his place onto the county road and then down the long driveway to his neighbor's ranch. What do you want, his adversary asked. Look, you take your hired men and your sons and I'll take mine and we'll put the fence wherever you'd like it. I've had enough of this. I want to be friends. His rawbone neighbor softened and the tears ran down both of their faces. The neighbor responded, Hey, let's drive to Virginia City and record that the present fence is where both of us want the property line to be. They did and the problem was solved. Why? Because a neighbor wanted to live in harmony with the family next door. Harmony was achieved. And did you notice the fence line was never touched? But there was an attitude change. Now come back to verse 1. Maybe you forgot, but I skipped verse 1. That's uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. I think verse 1 serves as a motivator, a solid foundation for making these changes in our attitude about one another and for finding harmony even in the face of disagreement or different approaches to various parts of life. The truths you see in verse 1 are, first of all, motivators for wanting and loving harmony they also speak to the gifts that we enjoy, the things given to us by God to make that possible. And then the third thing is of these points in verse 1, they show God as doing the work of binding believers together in harmony. That has to be done by God. Well, here's these four things. They start out with, if there is any, etc., etc. Well, is there? That's the question we ought to ask ourselves. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort? Well, the New Living Translation actually phrases it as a rhetorical question, and I think this helps get the point across. But the construction of the writing here is to communicate that these things are certainties. Okay, we need to get that. You might say, as surely as there is encouragement in Christ, as there is comfort and, and all of them. Now, interestingly enough, they are certainties, but they are meant to be thought about and to be felt. In fact, perhaps the whole set of them is meant to serve as a bit of an impassioned plea. That's why they're constructed as they are. Are these things not true of you, says Paul to the Philippian church? Have you not experienced them? They needed to be reminded of this, and so do we. Truths that can be absolutely, we can be absolutely sure of. And especially as we look at adjusting our attitudes toward one another and seeking and finding harmony. We'll look at them briefly. Is there any encouragement from being in Christ? 
Now, this could mean exhortation, as in encouragement in Christ to do the right thing. Paul is definitely exhorting the believers in Christ in this passage, isn't he? I should say it could also mean comfort. That word encouragement could easily be translated comfort. So that's something we need to work on. You can look at that. Second, which we should keep in mind with, with the first one, is, is there any consolation or comfort from love? It's a very similar word to the, to the first one. It probably references first the love of Christ for us and then the love that we can share among us because of the love of Christ for us. That brings a lot of security, a lot of comfort, doesn't it? The third one, is there any fellowship or common sharing in the Spirit? I think this probably points to the commonality we share in the Holy Spirit. We share the Holy Spirit in common. We are unified around Him. Without Him, there's no unity to speak of at all. And then the fourth one, is there any affection and mercy? We notice that the Philippian church has shown tenderness to Paul. I don't know if you remember, we talked a bit about that. They've, they've financially helped him. They've shown tenderness in their relationship. And Paul has done the same to them. In fact, at one point, he's, he, he uses that word, affection toward them as his family. And he reminds them here now that these qualities originated with God himself toward us. All of these four phrases, and we now can share them. Isn't that, that's pretty awesome. So think about it in this way. Think about this whole passage, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. I want to think about it backwards. That's good for our minds sometimes to read Hebrew backwards which is not backwards if you ask the Hebrew reader. We're the backwards ones. Verses 3 and 4 explain our attitude that we are to take toward thinking of one another. Verses 3 and 4, this then promotes harmony, the agreement that is to be our goal, which we see in verse 2, and verse 1 gives motivation. A sure foundation for all of this by reminding us in a passionate way, verse 1, out of some of the truths that we experience in Christ that are ours in his body. hope that makes some sense. Next week, I'm not quite done, but interjection. Next week, Brian King, my dad, will bring testimony to illustrate this passage further. So you can be pondering on these things. And, and studying on your own if you have time, but Dad is going to illustrate this a little bit more clearer with a, a testimony from his life. We can look forward to that. <clears throat> but we need to ponder, in my life, in your life, how can we, if you will, bring this home to roost? How do we apply this to our relationships? Well, consider this testimony concerning frozen bagels. Now this, uh, it's a first-person testimony, but it's not me, though I have, and I'd guess that each one of you have faced the exact sort of complex at some point in your life. Is anyone getting hungry yet? (laughs) 
How about now? Yeah, well, anyway, that's really not what we're here for. So listen to this, listen to this testimony about frozen bagels. It says, I have always been a morning person, and I get up early. In the days of college, I was usually, usually the first one in the kitchen getting something prepared for breakfast. It was rarely very extravagant. Often it was just cereal or toast or maybe a frozen bagel. If I was making toast, I would ask my roommate if he would like some, and his answer was always yes. Well, that is no problem for me. I was happy to prepare him something. It was quick, and it took very little effort. The problem came when I would toast a bagel. Frozen bagels are cut before being frozen, and they are never cut exactly in half. I guess the slicing machines were faulty, or the personnel were not very skilled, or it could just be that the Lord worked all this out for my personal development. I remember toasting bagels for my roommate Warren and me. I'd put a little peanut butter on each half. I would place each half of the toasted bagel on a small plate, one for Warren and one for me. Here is where the emotional turmoil would begin. Which half do I take? Well, I made them both, and Warren is probably still in the shower or having his morning devotions, so it's my choice to make. I toasted and prepared both of these half bagels with peanut butter, and I certainly should have the right to choose which one I wanted. They are both hot and ready to eat. Warren isn't even in the kitchen, so he isn't part of the choosing process. These bagels are almost exactly the same, but one is slightly bigger than the other. One has a little bit more bagel to it. One is a little plumper and looks a little more fulfilling. I really want that one. And Warren doesn't know about my turmoil and wouldn't care which one I pick. In fact, he's just grateful I took the time to prepare him a delicious toasted bagel. What should I do? Oh, did I mention that I was slightly bigger than Warren and probably need the bigger half of the bagel since I probably need more food? Now, I wouldn't share this story if it had happened only once. I probably wouldn't share it if it had happened only twice. But this exact scenario with toasting the silly frozen bagels happened multiple times, and it was emotional turmoil for me over and over again. I wrestled with the fundamental question of whose interests I should place first. Who gets the bigger half of the bagel? Well, this writer says, we must have been studying Philippians as a group because the Lord brought this passage to mind during one of my bagel toasting episodes. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look, not only for, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's verse 3 and 4 out of chapter 2. It was as if Paul wrote this to me about the bagel selection, though I'm quite sure Paul had not yet been introduced to frozen bagels. I knew from this passage that I needed to give Warren the bigger half of the hot toasted bagel spread with creamy peanut butter. That was clear. God was calling me to place my friend's interests above my own, and I was to count him more significant than myself. I would do it. Now that's a bit of a silly story. But I really think it actually perfectly illustrates the attitude that we are to have toward each other. An attitude, a viewpoint, creating harmony. 
Now, have any of you faced anything like that ever in your lives? I remember a professor of mine in college talking about serving up ice cream for himself and his wife. He mentioned that he needed to serve his wife's dish of ice cream as if it were for him, serving it with himself in mind, knowing that it wasn't his, as if he was dishing up his own ice cream. Well, clearly, there are more important areas than a half a gram of bagel or a partial scoop of ice cream in life. But in a way, I think it's a blessing that God uses these little things to help us see our attitude. What is in my heart? What is my viewpoint of others? And what am I going to do about that for harmony? Now maybe, maybe you're sitting there today saying, you know, I don't, I don't really care about harmony with this crowd or unity. I don't even, I'm not even sure I care about joy I hope that's not the case, but we have times in life that are rough sometimes. Maybe you're saying, if only I had some of these glaring issues in my life taken care of, I'd be okay. Maybe if I just had a little more money or maybe I had that dream car, all this would be taken care of. If only I had relief from this fear that haunts me. What if if I had my health back? If I had my family back? If I had my way in these situations, I sure would just be, it'd be okay. I'd be okay. That's what I really want. I'd be happy. Well, I want to just say one more challenge as we finish. I think God's way is our best way. God's way is our best way. Now, that might be a little funny way of saying that. But in humility, we should adjust our attitude toward other Christians. I I would like to say that this is not to say that we don't do this here in our community. So much of the blessing that we feel, that I feel, is because you have and are adjusting your attitude and humility toward others. As we do this, we start with that conviction of submitting to Christ as Savior and Lord. That's necessary. Then we adjust our belief system. We realize that loving harmony with my fellow Christians is best. That's God's way. According to the scripture we're looking at, I need to serve and think about others. I need to focus on others. And in so doing, in the greater plan of God, My best interest is served as harmony is gained. Did you catch that? My best interest is served ultimately as harmony is gained. There will be personal benefits as we follow this instruction. Considering others above ourselves, looking to their interests. It's harmony that we need and it's harmony that we gain. As we do that, God's way is our best way. By the way, this is not the logic of the world. In fact, we are told, I I read multiple blogs or whatnot, to be sure to look out for yourself first. 
How can, you, how can you do anything else if you don't look out for yourself first? Well, there's some consideration there. At times, we do need to put on the oxygen mask before we help someone else. But ultimately, that's in order that we can serve. Because the logic of Christianity is different than the logic of the world. The logic of Christianity is to look out for others first. And we will find harmony and joy like the world really knows nothing of. I'd like to just pray as we close. Steve, do you have a song you would like to end with? Pray with me if you would. God, thank you as always for this exhortation, for this truth um, from your word. It, it sometimes goes against our natural thinking, our natural way, the things we do without thinking, the things we just naturally come across. But the challenge goes out to us to apply the logic of Christianity, your logic, your best way, or your way is our best way. Our interests will be met perfectly as we choose your way. Help us to understand where we're at with this scripture, to bring it to bear in relationships in our life. We're grateful that you minister to our spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.